When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Earl Breon here, your host for the Burden of Command podcast. You know, sometimes the burden of command means dealing with the emotional fallout of your decisions. Now, that can take on a lot of forms, but today I'm going to share a story with you that was uh, I first heard from Dana Perino. She was George W. Bush's former uh, press secretary. You may know her as host of The Five. She's done a lot of stuff on Fox News. Uh, she's written a great book called And the Good News Is. And, uh, you know, if you just know her as the Fox News correspondent, uh, you, you need to read the book because she really shines a kind of behind the scenes light on the true state of politics in D.C. And it's it's a lot more friendly of a tale than you ever hear on MSNBC or Fox News. And full disclosure, yes, I watch both. So anyways, in her book, and the good news is, and I think maybe I heard her tell this story before the book, but uh, she talks about how uh, President Bush, uh, W, uh, was visiting, uh, I believe it was Walter Reed, but it was one of the veterans' hospitals. And, uh, you know, that's something that presidents have done for a really long time. There's accounts going back at least as far as Abraham Lincoln uh, visiting veterans at, uh, I believe they called it the the soldier's home uh, at the time. I could be wrong in that. But, you know, this is something that, that presidents do and a responsibility that they have as commander-in-chief. You know, if you're going to send, uh, if you're going to send our young uh, men and women, my brothers and sisters, into harm's way, you got to deal with the the fallout of that and, and kind of be that leader and help uh, help pep them back up as they're recovering, if you can. So it was one of these such trips uh, that Dana tells a story about, and and the president's making his rounds as normal. He's you know shaking hands with uh, those who are conscious, spending a few minutes with those who are uh, who are in a coma, whether uh, long term or induced for surgery. During these trips, sometimes there'll be. Uh, you know, there'll be award ceremonies and there'll be promotions and things like that that happen. But the president comes up on this one room and the soldier's mother is there. Now, I can't remember what branch of service is in, so I'll use soldier as kind of a blanket. It could have been an airman, could have been a Marine, but uh, the, the soldier, uh, his mom was in the room with him. That's the point of the story here. And the president spends a couple minutes with the, uh, with the troop and 
he goes to leave and and the mama is just very emotional and she gets up and she starts uh starts talking to the president and and she's getting more and more emotional and then she she kind of gets downright angry and and you know she doesn't really come right out and and blame George W Bush for her uh her son's predicament uh, but she she has a kind of a classic unle- unloading session. But but she has kind of a classic unloading session, and she like really starts to lay into the president. And you know if you've ever seen anything with the president, he's got all sorts of guards around him. You're in a military hospital, so not only is he going to have secret service, but there's going to be some form of military police around, and, and they all start to move in. And uh, W does something that's a little unexpected. He he waves them off, and and he just stands there. He just stands there and he lets her unload. Now that's the the words I'm pretty sure that Dana uses is just she unleashes on him, and he stands there for a good you know ten or fifteen minutes. He spends more time with this mom than than he does most anybody else during the day, and and. She says the thing that that really struck her about this story was that he didn't he didn't say anything, right? He just listened. And that was impressive to me because again, this is a guy who with literally just kind of a nod of a head, he could have had several people just remove her, but he stood there and he listened. And she said they left and they go upstairs and they get on Marine Corps 1 and uh, they're flying back to the White House, and she notices him just kind of this blank stare out the window. And when he turns, he's got this, uh, you know, tear or two rolling down his cheek, and he wipes him away, and he looks at Dana, and he goes, man, that mom was sure mad at me. And she said, you know, she realized what happened was he had kind of internalized the 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 burden of his position thanks to that mom because he he really 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 saw that connection between the decisions he makes to how it impacts one of the troops lives to how it impacts those that love them and it was from that day forward that he really wanted to make more trips to the hospitals and spend more and more time with the vets. Now, he'd done a good amount before. It's not like he didn't. But this was something that really cemented that mission, that piece of his job. And, and folks, it's the same thing with you in your profession, whatever your profession may be. You see, the decisions you make don't just impact your office, your team. They do have ripple effects outside. If you treat people well at work, they're going to go home and they're going to be more likely to treat their family well, to treat their loved ones well. Now, sure, some people are just jerks, period. It doesn't matter how much you, uh, how much you make them feel good at work. They're going to go home and they're still going to yell and scream and be a jerk. But by and large... If you treat people well at work, they're going to treat the people around them well. If you treat them poorly, chances are pretty good they're going to go home and they're going to treat those around them poorly. Um, 
so you got to keep that in mind. This this thing, this leadership thing, is not confined to this vacuum of the office. It has real lasting impacts on the world around you. So you know when people talk about changing the world, this is where I say, and I don't mean this in some pie in the sky kind of fashion. The easiest way to change the world is to become a leader. Everything you do has an impact on the entire world around you because, you know, this is how this ripple effect works. You treat somebody well at work, they learn good leadership skills and abilities from you, they go home, they go to church, maybe they have a second job, they're going to treat people in those parts of their lives more like how you treat them because that's how they want to be treated. And that happens over and over and over again. You treat them poorly. They're going to not because it's how they want to be treated, but they're going to treat those around them poorly because they're in a bad mood. They're grumpy. They're grouchy. They're doing all of these things. And that ripples out throughout their world. So you do have all of the power right now as a leader to change the world. It's, it's really that simple. You can shape and mold the world around you, not just inside of your little office, but all around you. Because you see, everybody you work with has mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, wives, uh, husbands, children, all of these types of personal relationships. They have friends that they hang out with. Your decisions don't just stop at work. Now, you need to really understand and, and, and grasp that concept because leadership is that powerful. You know, I say it a lot. I, I can, I truly, truly, truly believe every single thing that is wrong in this world, everything, sexism, racism, ageism, uh, wars, uh, famine, poverty, I don't care what it is. If you get down to the root of everything that is wrong in this world, you're going to find bad leadership. I mean, it's just that simple. You're going to find bad leadership. How can bad leadership create a famine? Uh, Bad land management. I mean, think about the Dust Bowl years here in the United States. One of the primary causes, then yes, there were some meteorological phenomena that were beyond our control, but one of the primary causes was uh, overtapping the aquifer and drying out the land. So when drought hit, it was uh, magnified. And so we had the Dust Bowl. Bad leadership. If somebody had stood up and said, hey, we got to stop this, maybe we don't have that happen. Now, it probably is still going to happen to an extent because, again, of those meteorological phenomena that we can't control. But that's just an example. Uh, you know, wars. A lot of times wars are breakdowns in communication, uh, and then we have bad leadership decisions that, that happen because of that. You know, General Powell, uh, at the time Secretary of State, he gets a lot of grief uh, for making that statement in front of the UN Council. But if you go back and you look, there was a communications error. There was a failure of leadership. When he made those statements, he truly believed that that was the best intel and in what was going on, despite, uh, you know, because of all the communications failures. I mean, those are just a couple of examples 
uh, of how bad leadership has led to bad things in the world. So that is the lesson from this story that I want you to take away the most. Your decisions as a leader have a ripple effect. And at some point in time, you're going to see the full effect of what those ripple effects are. Sometimes it's going to present itself to you as an angry mama yelling and screaming at you. Sometimes it's going to present itself as somebody naming their child after you. That's going to be completely dictated on the quality of your decisions. So look, when it happens, how you handle it is just as important as the decisions you made. It's kind of the second part of this story. We're talking about a president here. Again, this is a person who could have snapped their fingers and had this woman taken away from him or had her blockaded off from him. Uh, but he didn't. He, he chose empathy and he chose to sit there and he chose to listen. And how do you think that woman felt having what many people around the country call the most powerful man in the world uh, sit and listen to her? Now, how often do you do that with your team? Do you ever just sit and listen? Do you give them a chance to have just a good old-fashioned bitch session? I don't know. Some people do. Some people don't. Uh, but it's a good thing for your leadership. Sometimes people just need to vent, know you're listening, and, and then you can move on. Uh, now, there's a fine line between venting and complaining, and that's probably a whole other podcast in and of itself. So I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But the, the two primary morals of this story, and heck, maybe there's some more, is your decisions, no matter how sound, no matter how just, no matter how rationalized, are going to have consequences far-reaching. How those consequences come back to you and how you handle that situation is going to say as much about you and your leadership as anything else. So there you have it. That's the uh, the story of President Bush and the angry mama and a couple of leadership lessons from that. Again, my name's Earl Breon, and I am the host of this podcast, the Burden of Command podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, you can reach out to me at burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, as you're listening, please do me a favor. Go down, rate, and review the show. It does a lot to help us uh, get visibility and, and gain traction. Um, and if you have any ideas for guests, hit me up in that email I just mentioned, burden.command at gmail.com. I'm always looking for uh, guests that, that uh, are, are great, that come from you, and that maybe I haven't ever even heard of before. So hit me up there, burden.command at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Keep those shields up, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Electric acid.